Okay, Laura. Okay, so this is a fascinating interview we're going to do here with, 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 with Daniel Kelly we're going to play today. Daniel Kelly is the Associate Director for the Center of Technology and Society at the Anti-Defamation League. And one of the things I love about this conversation is I think we all know about the bullying and the trolling and the things that happen online in general, which also happen in real life. I don't want to suggest that, they're, uh, that, that it's worse online, as so many scaremongers like to do, but, uh, but it does happen online. And I think what we get from Daniel is a really fascinating question of how you start to evaluate, analyze, and, and, and recognize the patterns um, involved in, in, in problematic behavior in an online space, in gaming, in social media. We talk about all of these things where hate speech and racism and misogyny and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and you know, all, 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 all the bad evil, uh, <laughs> evil kinds of talk. All, we, we really talk about how we start to think about them, how, what's trending and what people's experiences have been. And, and, and Daniel talks about his, his extensive research in this area. And I think people are gonna find this conversation uh, really fascinating, um, um, especially as we think about the questions uh, of like how people get radicalized online, how people fall down the rabbit hole online. All these, all these questions. I think, I think this is really shed some light on on on, on what that experience is like and what the the sort of ecosystem of of, of online social injustice looks like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, and the work that. Daniel and his team are doing around kind of fighting toxicity online again is just it's fascinating but you know the biggest thing for me about this particular conversation was how entertaining it was we went in, <laughs> this was going to be the hardest topic to talk about like how do you make this sexy and fun and yeah we all just got so much out of it and there were quite a few giggles along the way as well as some of this really serious stuff we were talking about so I'm pretty certain everyone listening is going to really enjoy this episode <laughs> right um, right how do you have a whole conversation about hate speech and laugh so much I think that's I know, a really I know. Good um, yeah we absolutely we you know we definitely have to have Daniel back on the show if we get to do another one <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's let everyone else hear the conversation. Hey, Laura, how you doing? We're going to start this now. Here we go. We have a great guest today. It's Daniel Kelly, who's the Associate Director for the Center of Technology and Society at the Anti-Defamation League. Hi, Daniel. Hello, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Would you tell us a bit about yourself? Tell us what you do. Let our listeners know what you do. Sure. So uh, I'm Daniel Kelly, as as Jordan said. I work at the Anti-Defamation League, uh, which is a 100-plus-year-old civil rights organization with the mission to stop the defamation of the Jewish people and secure justice and fair treatment to all. Uh, In the Center for Technology and Society, where I work, we focus on that same mission, but in digital spaces, right? We've been lurking on that since like the 1980s, right? When we were looking at bulletin boards. Uh, in the 90s, we were talking to AOL, right? And, and in the 2000s, we were talking to social media and are talking to social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter and the like. And in the last, I guess it's been uh, four years now, um, since 2017, I've been focused on uh, looking at online games as digital social platforms, right? In the same way that that uh, they are both uh, they are both media, but they function very much as uh, in many of the same ways that social media does, and have many of the same problems. And how can we bring ADL history and expertise uh, in fighting hate uh, 
to online games as digital social platforms. Thanks, Daniel. I mean, for me personally, that's just so relevant and important. As you as you know, I'm I'm based at Roblox, um, and trying to build that healthy and civil community is a huge part of of my role and and our goals and mission there as as a platform for for young people and teenagers. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to hearing more about your work. Yeah, I, I'm I'm super excited to you know what first brought you to to my attention was the the the, the recent free to play report. So I'm I'm hoping you'll tell us a a, a bit about that. I mean, I, I'll just say before before I ask you to talk about it that, that what really what really piqued my interest is you know I've spent um, I've spent many years sort of thinking a lot about how do we teach good etiquette in digital play and uh, uh, you know and how do we how do we teach sort of social skills through digital play. I make sure it has all the same benefits of of play because we know so much of of that that social and emotional learning happens there and so i feel like you're sort of doing the, the a lot of the foundational work that needs to be done before we can sort of figure out how to how, how to how to make these digital places really work in the best interests of kids and teenagers and and long-run adults right um yeah so um, i really appreciate that you know like i'm i'm we're trying to figure out how ADL can add to the conversation because, you know, um, while we are a historical organization, we're fairly new to the conversation around games. And there are people like yourself, Laura, and others who've been working in this space for like many, many years. And we want to make sure that we're adding to the conversation without sort of rehashing things or uh, taking up space where we don't need to be, right? Um, and so that's where we sort of, uh, after a couple of years, settled on um, this is sort of one of the central uh, pillars of our work, which is. Uh, an annual uh, nationally representative survey in the U.S. of adults um, who play online multiplayer games. Um, and looking both, uh, I think there's a tendency, um, and you all know this probably better than I, the tendency, uh, to, especially in the U.S., to blame video games for everything, right? If there's a, if there's a moral failing or a, a shooting or, you know, uh, any kind of problem in our society, we'll blame it on video games. And so it was important in putting together this survey that it is both looking at uh, positive uh, social experiences in online games and hate and harassment, right? So that, you know, we are, the, the, the idea is to push us towards a really fact-based, um, quantitative, you know, uh, grounding for talking about what is it like in online games and social spaces, right? Um, at present, there isn't um, uh, a sort of, you know, if you're looking at social media, um, you have platforms that do provide data to researchers, right, that are open, like Reddit and Twitter. Um, but in games, you really don't, uh, you really don't have that at present. And so there isn't really, uh, at least when I'm looking around, there wasn't really a holistic picture of what is it like uh, overall in online games. And so that's what the survey tries to get at. And so, you know, we did our first survey last year in 2019, and then recently, Put out this additional survey in terms of, um, and, and you know, in terms of the results, um, we found, you know, unsurprisingly, I think to the folks on this call, that um, uh, 95% of uh, American adults experience positive social experience, have positive social experiences in online games, whether that's making friends or feeling they belong to a community or. Uh, discovery interests, uh, discovering things about themselves or others, right? These are all things that 
happen in online games, right? And I think I try to make that the grounding for the work that we do fighting hate and harassment in online games. It's not that games are like the bad space where hate is happening and where young people are being radicalized, but rather, I mean, you know, those things, they, bad things happen in games as they happen in other digital social spaces, right? And the reason why we do this work is because we want these positive social experiences to be universal across all folks and that people and for people not to be pushed out of these spaces and out of these meaningful social positive social experiences because of things like hate and harassment that are allowed to flourish right i think um there's a misconception uh, in my mind about uh what free expression means right in in a lot of these conversations right um if you don't feel safe in a space if you feel like i think in in video games right the, the phenomenon is is very literal in, in many cases where people, you know, uh, feel I can't go on the, I can't use the microphone, right? I can't go on the mic to speak because if I do, I will be, you know, targeted because of my identity, right? It's it's a little less literal sometimes in, in social media spaces, but it's very, very literal in video game spaces. It can be. It's really sad. You know, we know certainly the way people have used our platform and others. And, you know, Jordan and I are both keen gamers as well. And these spaces, I think, have never been more important in terms of socializing and spending time with your community and all of those things. And if it's a place where you don't feel safe, you know, that's a real issue. And I think all of us would really love to see those spaces all working and striving and working together. Um, and with organizations like yours to really improve those spaces and make sure that everybody feels welcome and safe. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the grounding that I take to this work, which is we don't, we want to fight hate. Hate is real in online games. Harassment is real, but there are real meaningful um, positive social experiences that should be available to all folks, as you said, you know, and, and, um, but we do find, you know, um, real high levels you know, exceedingly high levels of hate and harassment in online games, right? 81% of American adults in 2020 uh, reported some form of harassment in online games. Uh, 68 uh, reported, 68% of American adults reported severe harassment. So that's uh, being discriminated against on the basis of your identity, being physically threatened, sustained harassment, stalking, right? These kinds of things, um, you know, uh, these th these kinds of things, you know, make, uh, I think one of the things that I, I'm thinking about a lot right now is in the last year, there have been, I think, three sort of major studies that I've seen that are focused on, you know, the coping mechanisms that players have in online game spaces, because like, that's where we're at, right? It's such, it's so the norm uh, for, for there to be hate, for there to be harassment, that what researchers are turning to is like, how are people coping, right? How are, you know, how do you, given that this is the norm how do people um how do people especially you know uh gamers and streamers of color how do they uh navigate racism right that is a given in these spaces right and i think what we're trying to work to do and and push the companies and the public and um sort of all of society to to sort of uh try and change these norms because they are harmful and they you know i understand you know, I think we understand at the individual level, you have to protect yourself, but at the level of, a, of an institution, of a company, of an industry, it's not acceptable 
but this is the norm. You know, can, can you say a bit about, um, you know, uh, about, about what that really probably, what, you know, what that, what that looks like? Because, uh, you know, I think that, I think to, to listeners, you hear a number, like, I think your number was 68% of, uh, of adults experience, experience, uh, uh, some kind of discrimination. I think it was how, that was how you, how you said it. Um, uh, well, you know, what, what does that look like? Cause I think, I think it'd be really interesting for people to, to, to hear specifics. Sure. So, um, so if we're going to talk about, you know, discrimination based on identity, I think, you know, there have been a number of great qualitative studies, uh, by, uh, one of our fellows, Gabrielle Richard, uh, who did a great work in this, Kishana Gray and others, um, who have looked at, you know, from a qualitative perspective, what does that experience, you know, what describe that experience, right? And talking to people who are targets. And I think um, one of the things that comes up again and again is this um, uh, talking on the mic sort of phenomenon. So in online games, um, generally voice communication is uh, one of the main modes of communication. Generally, the two the two modes that folks work in are, are either chat, right, or like a text box where you type in text, right, and press and enter, and then or whatever button, right, and uh, it appears in a flowing, right, uh, a scroll of, of of text, or people speak, you know, using a microphone. I think. Um, the voice is particular because in the, in the, you know, speaking about the difference between social media and, and games in text, you have all the tools that, you know, a Facebook or a Twitter has in terms of detecting and understanding communication. Voice chat is not really, you know, we're seeing it more now these days, right? Twitter is, is testing something. Clubhouse is now a thing, right? Is an app that is audio only, but for a long time, uh, voice chat has been the, the um uh the, the sole sort of problem area or a realm of games in, in many ways and so um when people you know like when people especially people from vulnerable and marginalized communities come off the mic and 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 start uh speaking in these spaces right they'll be playing a game right and they will speak and suddenly um their fellow players will treat them differently because of the way their voice presents there's i'm forgetting the exact study but there was a study where um, uh, a Hispanic person um, was 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 describing his experience, and he was being targeted with anti-black racism, right, because of his voice and because of the way he spoke, right. So it's not even that you know, like it's when you speak in in a space, people make assumptions on your identity, right, and so it, it may you may not even be targeted because of your specific identity, but rather just a, a general you know, whatever uh, biases or uh, 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 sort of ideologies the person you're playing with has been exposed to, you you may be subjected to those, um, uh, to, those uh, to, to those perspectives and to, to being discriminated in, against in that way. So that's sort of, that's one example. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's really, really interesting for us. And and actually, we have um, already had a guest on our show um, who I think you know very well, Kimberly Vole from the Fair yeah. Play Alliance. <laughs> um, she came on the show and we had a fantastic conversation about the work the Fair Play Alliance is doing and some of these similar kind of themes around, you know, healthy and positive communities. But she talked to us a little bit about one project, which I believe um, they partnered with the Anti-Defamation yeah. League on, which is the Disruptive and Harms in Gaming Framework. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a bit about that, please? Sure. So I think one of the things, 
you know, as part of our work with social media and sort of translating that to game companies, part of it is, you know, having discussions with companies about how they approach addressing these problems in their games. Um, and so one thing that I, you know, in talking with Kim was clear to me was um, there isn't like a, like sometimes if you're looking at like a large game company, right, that's like a triple A major game, there can be different ways that they talk about hate and harassment, like even between titles, right? Like even if you look between like major, you know, a major game company that has two huge, you know, franchises, they, it's, it's uh, more than likely in my experience has been, uh, it, it's certain that, that they actually talk about hate and harassment differently between these two, you know, like tentpole uh, ten games, let alone between like major company and major company or others, right? And so, you mean like they, you mean like they, they change their they change their corporate stance on it between two releases? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that like when they when they are looking at like how do you enforce? Well, let's say there's a code of conduct, right? This is different between one game and another. Like sometimes. Uh, major game companies between like what they call hate and harassment in one game uh, may be very different or the ways in which they define it may be very different from how they define it in a separate game. Right. So it's not necessarily about the corporate PR, but rather how are you, you know, what, what, when you, when someone reports, uh, assuming you have a report feature, right. Uh, uh, When someone reports hate and harassment in a game, um, how do you determine what that thing is that's being what that behavior is that's being reported and how do you determine what the consequences are for that action right um and i think um you know i think right now we're game companies are in kind of like an early social media place where they have you know one rule for like everything bad right um and or or just a handful right um and i think you know laurel roblox is unique in this uh, in that you actually do have fairly robust um, sort of content policies, right? Um, and, you know, actually explicate certain types of content, which I imagine also plays into your enforcement, right? Um, but um, but right now, everything, most game companies are giant, you know, blob of terrible things. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, um, being able to understand what the what is going on in your plat on your platform and how to approach uh addressing it like that uh is still a huge problem so the idea was to create a framework which would allow companies to sort of define different categories of harms in their game uh we call it in the framework disruptive behavior right meaning anything that disrupts the intended experience of a game and then harmful conduct which is more in the realm of what i what i've been talking about around hate and harassment uh and and sort of those kinds of things and so if we can you know part of the work for us this year in 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 concert with the fair play alliance is really to uh, bring this framework to companies and to encourage and uh, uh, pressure them to to adopt it and so that we can really um, get to a, a common language around hate and harassment in online games. And I think ultimately, I mean, not ultimately, but one of the goals to push to is measurement, which is so important, right? That's part of the reason why we're doing these surveys, right? Is that there is no, like everyone is like, oh, things are bad, right? But like, how bad? And is anything working, right? And so, you know, like I would love for the survey to become irrelevant because we have so many 
you know, metrics from game companies around hate and harassment and how what they're doing is working. I think it's going to be a really interesting process when this does start really rolling out as kind of the mainstream amongst games companies. I mean, the first thing I believe it's free. So that's a really amazing way to get it in front of companies because quite often, you know, we work with games companies all over the world who are really small. They might have 10 staff or, and so whilst they might want to prioritize safety, they might not think it's a priority in terms of finances not even know where to start. And I think having things like this is fantastic for them to kind of go, right, take some advice from bigger elder organizations and people who've been in the field a very long time. Um, But I think you're right. The other key bit of it, which is that tolerance level, is getting people to really recognize what those disruptive behaviors are and actually calling it out and saying, just because you've put up with it until now, there's 10% or 15% or 20% of the people on your platform who've had that and they've left and they're never coming back because they had a really bad time and they've told everyone else they've had a really bad time. How about we don't do that to anybody and everybody just has a better experience on the platform. And I think you're going to have a few aha moments as people kind of go, oh, actually, yeah, maybe we're part of that problem. Let's try and fix it. So I'm really excited about what's going to come next over the next few months with it. Yeah, no, I I, I totally um, agree. And I think we actually did quantify that number of people who leave the game right because of harassment. In the survey, we found that 22% of, of players uh, quit playing certain games because of their experience with harassment, right? Uh, that's a number that I know I've heard from folks who are in the industry that they use when they're doing their own internal advocacy at companies. And they're like, hey, you know, in addition to like the moral argument, right, that like hate and harassment are bad, there's also a business argument, which is this is also bad for business, right? People are leaving people, you know, uh, you know, almost a quarter of your players, uh, adult players are, are quitting your game because of their experiences there, right? So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it needs much more investment from the industry. Yeah, I mean, and I think there, I think there's an, an interesting question here because obviously we're living at a time in history that is um, difficult uh, in, in terms of xenophobia, in terms of radicalization, in terms of uh, nationalism. I mean, all, everywhere around the world, we're seeing these things spring spring up. Um, it, you know, do you do you think that that there's a relationship between that and 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 um, online media, digital media? I mean, certainly we've all we all understand the way uh, uh, um, you know uh, uh, al- algorithms end up privileging the extreme but I, I've often especially when it comes to kids and teenagers I, you know I feel like what's happening is a lot of what was hidden what was swept under is coming to the fore because these tools allow people to say things or to meet people they weren't able to meet before I, I'm curious about your thoughts about how all these things tie into the, this current cultural ethos sure so I think one of the other things we have in the um, in the survey, we do ask about um, people's exposure to white supremacist ideology uh, in online games. And when we say that we're talking, there's a lot of different ways people define white supremacy, but from an ADL perspective, we're talking about um, people who are sort of uh, uh, talking about the extremist ideology of white supremacy, which is about the privileging of white identity in quotes, right? Over other, other identities, right? And is an extreme ideology and is based in uh, racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, and other forms of hate, right? And so we found that uh, 9% of uh, players were exposed to uh, white supremacist ideology in online games. 
Um, and, uh, and I think this, you know, this amount, like the, the high level of hate and harassment um, and the, you know, I think relatively low level of exposure to white supremacist ideology speaks to something else that I've been, uh, the, the New Zealand government put out a really sort of, uh, you know, wide ranging and uh, expansive report on the, uh, the Christchurch mosque shooting uh, last year. Um, where it goes really deep into the shooter's journey of radicalization. And I think one of the things that uh, sort of uh, echoes the, uh, the data a little bit is that um, the, the shooter was radicalized in mainstream social media, right? Facebook and YouTube, right? right? But, but it also speaks to the beginning of his journey being uh, a gamer and being an online gamer, right? And so I think what we see is not that games are a space for explicit radicalization, but that they're a space where hate is normalized and then uh, can allow for individuals to be radicalized in other spaces, right? And so I think that's, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, questions about like, okay, do, do games radicalize, you know, young people or what have you, right? And I think the evidence that I'm seeing is that it's not necessarily, at least, you know, again, we don't have good transparency into the nature of, of conversations and, and behaviors in online games. But from what I've, what I've seen, it's not that explicit radicalization or recruitment happens in online games, but that it's one sort of pillar of a space where hate, hateful ideologies are normalized, right? Or not challenged um, and thus uh, allows someone to go along the path where, where they can start to accept those ideas as normal and then be more formally radicalized on more traditional social media that i i that's a that, i mean that's a really hard one for me because um i mean I, I i i what's what's hard for me to wrap my thinking around is that on the one hand right i think many of the same things that lead to that kind of radicalization. We, we've also seen lead to very good things, right? Like people able to find uh, support groups. Uh, um, I mean, we have a lot of data about eating disorders and teenagers and support groups about LGBTQ communities. And so this ability to, to sort of get 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 um, caught up with a community or to find that, you know, I, to, 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 find, to find your group of like-minded people. And on the one hand, you know, how do we balance that between what What's, what's what's great in so many ways and showing us what's what's powerful and strong, but also p provides the possibility for for this kind of radicalization. I think one of the interesting things that we found was uh, looking at Discord, right, which is this sort of uh, platform that is a social platform but is rooted in gaming, right. Um, the same sort of affordances that um, that make it a space where. Um, you know, these private servers where you can choose who comes in and make it a uh, potential, uh, potentially valuable to, you know, extremists or people who want to organize hateful uh, around a hateful ideology is, is the same affordances that make it valuable for people who are targeted in other spaces, right? We found uh, that, you know, when we talked to a, a group of, of folks who are, uh, who are trans streamers, right? They were like, this is, you know, Discord is great because we can choose who comes into our space and we can set our own rules, right? And so I think there is, yeah, it's a, it's a really hard, um, it's a really hard uh, problem because you want to be able to, you know, create spaces where people can control who they interact with and how, but, you know, how, how do you avoid then those same spaces being used for 
um, hateful and heinous ends. It's, it's really complicated, isn't it? Because in that same way of finding your tribe, in that particular instance we're talking about, it's not necessarily that they're having hate inflicted upon them or that they're being harassed by others. You know, that grooming process that's going on, that kind of brainwashing, dare I even say, they feel they have found their tribe. They have found their people that they want to be with. Um, so I think that's definitely somewhere where... You know, education is really important. That whole kind of it takes a village idea, you know, parents and educators and everyone needs to recognize these things and have these conversations. So it's not a secretive thing that can happen. Um, Everyone needs to be much more aware that these are kind of potential um, harmful spaces and things that can happen. Um, And then obviously there's a responsibility on tech companies. We'll come on to that. Yeah, I think I think that's, you know, where uh, tech companies really have a role in terms of you know, having values, right, and and understanding what their values are, and right. I think that's really, you know, I we believe I think in, in a very uh, a values driven approach to social media content moderation. You know, and, and I guess I'm thinking um, I'm thinking about the events of of, of you know of what's going on uh, you know around. Uh, deplatforming, right, and and thinking about the roles of um, the App Store and the Google Play Store, right. Recently, uh, we saw the deplatforming of of the platform Parler, right. Um, and you know, th- what was interesting there is this call from Apple and Google to implement more stringent content moderation policies, right, or practices. And I guess for me, like when I hear that, something that I think about is like, couldn't the, the various game stores, couldn't an Xbox and a PlayStation, uh, the Epic Store, others really, you know, as part of their vetting process to allowing games on their stores, um, really create like best practices for content moderation that would be required of all games in order to be in those spaces, right? Like that I feel like is, you know, like a values-based way to use various leverages that companies have to ensure better play spaces for all people. Yeah. It's, it seems like a, like a pretty, a pretty obvious step. Um, well, let, let me, let me, let me ask you, uh, 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 I don't know how I was going to say if it's really more fun, but, but, <laughs> but, 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 but a, a more, a more general question. When you look at the whole, uh, di- dig- digital landscape and everything you know about it, everything you've learned from your research, are, 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 are you, are you more optimistic or more pessimistic? Like, <laughs> like where, where is your optimism and where's your pessimism? So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel um, you know, my optimism is in the fact that games are, I think right now, you know, where social media was 10 years ago, right? And when social media was in this place, they, I mean, I, you know, you could argue that they had uh, precedents to look back on, right? Um, but we have very visible <laughs> precedents to look back on now for what happens if we don't, if, if the industry doesn't take really significant steps to address it, right? Like in 2006, I don't think, you know, when, when, when Facebook was like saying, okay, we're going to go beyond um, uh, college campuses for the first time, 
were we imagining that the a, a big sort of input into the 2016 or the 2020 election would be this platform, right? Um, when we're thinking about, were we thinking this this platform is definitely going to cause be implicated in genocide in Myanmar, right? So I, I don't. So I think in the sense that like game companies can think now, right, and look at the example of social media and and really be aggressive in you know, addressing the, the same mistakes that we see in social media. Like, I, I'm really optimistic that we have a lot of information, right, about how to do it poorly, right? Uh, and so that, you know, there's a lot. And I think earlier this year, you know, I think there's some uh, early, sorry, last year, <laughs> last year, uh, in 2020, uh, around the, the death of, uh, of George Floyd in the United States, um, I think in the past, and there's a there's a chart to, that speaks to this in the in the free to play report. Um, typically, the game industry hasn't spoken out on sort of national tragedies, right? Um, and you know, it was notable, I think, that um, that in the case of the murder of George Floyd by law enforcement, um, that most major game companies, at the very least, made a statement. Some of them, you know, made donations. Some of them decided, you know, made commitments in terms of their products. And I guess, you know, in years before, the example I always give was talking to somebody who's a target of harassment in games and them saying, you know what would be great? It'd be really great if the game companies could come and say publicly that they stand against death threats, right? That's that's sort of an anecdote from somebody who was targeted. And so, you know, like the fact that companies are coming out and speaking on these issues, right, I think shows you know, even if those that speaking out is not sufficient in and of itself, I think it shows forward momentum uh, for companies' willingness to engage. And this is a question of if they're going to be, if they're if they're going to engage enough, fast enough, as they expand in order to really uh, uh, address the problems. That's fantastic. Well, you've kind of touched on it. Now we're forward looking a little bit. There's a question I've asked every one of our guests, um, which is your crystal ball moment, really. So, you know, it's great that you're feeling more optimistic, even though that comes from a place where we've had a lot of negative learning. But, you know, hopefully that puts us in good stead. But what do you think are going to be the big developments over the next couple of years? What what do you think is going to be the big changes we can look forward to? So. if I'm putting my positive hat on, right? Um, I think if we can, if we can have like the so, I think one of the the things that we're going to see is um, we're going to see much more of you know we're seeing it now. We're seeing the expansion of audio, right, as the area of content moderation. Uh, the content in you know Clubhouse and Twitter is doing something, and others. I think we're going to see a, a sort of massive push towards better tooling and better processes and and how do we think about audio content moderation, right? Um, I think that's going to be a big piece. And I, and I guess the thing that I really hope for um, is that we get to a place where um, the industry, like one of the big things that we have been pushing for for many, many years with social media is transparency, right? These platforms are huge, have huge impacts on our lives. Their decisions are huge. They need to be transparent in how they are uh, making decisions and in, you know, the degree to which there are problems on their services and the degree to which they're getting better based on their efforts, right? If, you know, if I could, you know, wish upon a star, right? um, I would have, you know, like right now we don't know, for example, 
how much anti-Semitism is there on Facebook in New Jersey, right? Yeah. We don't know, right? And so being able to get to that level of granularity with um, with games, right? Being able to say, this is the how much hate, these are the communities being targeted, right? And this is what we're doing about it. And here's what's working, here's what's not working. Like, if we can get to that place in a year, right? Uh, then we might have a fighting chance, right? Um, that sounds amazing. It, it's 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 so it's but it's so crazy. Like as you say it, I like imagine the people who are like, well, if you're asking those questions, that becomes surveillance. And it's so interesting the way we have no objection to surveillance. I mean, surveillance when it's like to sell us, you know, talkies. <laughs> but when we're <laughs> I mean, one, of the, one of the things we recommend is is you know you can you can have it be user generated, right? You can you can one of, one of the things I love to talk about is reporting forms. Everyone, you know, the sexiest topic of all is reporting. Um, but it's, uh, it's, you know, like if you have a, uh, a, and, and, you know, as an engineering task, not super complicated, right? It's a form. Uh, and you have a category that says hate speech. And then you have under that, why were you targeted, right? Uh, and you say, I was targeted because I was Jewish. I'm targeted because I'm black. I'm targeted because I'm a woman, right? And then in aggregate, as a company, right, you are able to collect that data. And then you're able to say, you're not saying, you're not making assumptions about who anybody is, right? You're, you're, you're basing it on sort of a subjective user experience of hate and harassment. And I think, I think that's an amazing idea, Daniel. And actually, if that became kind of an accepted industry standard, um, we could then all share that because it's not you know, direct data collection um, across platforms and across industry. There's so much collaboration that's really starting to get off the ground now. And we're seeing amazing projects coming out of several companies getting together and sharing these kind of findings. You'd be able to both pinpoint where the problem areas are and support those organizations and, and platforms to get better. So I think I think that's a wonderful view for the next few years. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, I have to say thank you. This has been it's actually an inspiring conversation. You know, it's sort of it's sort of it's sort of surprising. You sit down and talk talk about <laughs> about hate speech and end <laughs> and end up inspired about possibilities. And that's great. Is there anything that we that you, you think we should have asked you that we haven't asked you about, Daniel? Um, well, the the game that made me love video games was Baldur's Gate Two. So, um, which is a great and a classic, and I. Highly, highly recommend anyone who's looking for a gem uh, check out Baller the Gate 2 and its uh, sequel, Throne of Ball. So, <laughs> <Okay>. Amazing. <laughs> Great. What are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? Right now, um, I was playing, well, so I, I play single player for fun and then multiplayer for work, right? Um, um, but so I'm playing, I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Valhalla. Um, and Ivar, you know, the, the Viking just, there's a big twist. So, you know, look out for that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your insights, Daniel. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If I only had brain, I could sense that you're in pain.